Hey everyone, it is me, your host, Zoe Blasky, and welcome to this episode of the Mothercoin Podcast. This is a show that's going to help you feel more connected, more calm, more compassionate to yourself, even with all the challenges we face as modern mothers. This week, we have the incredible Donna Lancaster back on the show. You loved her first episode, so I hope you're going to love this one even more. Donna has worked as a coach, a group facilitator and a therapist for more than 30 years. I cannot tell you how much I respect Donna and her work. She really is incredible. And I was lucky enough to go on a retreat with her last year. And it was one of my absolute top experiences of 2022. This is one of those episodes that's going to make you think, it's going to make you cry, probably. It made me cry. And it's definitely going to put a lot in perspective. That's what it did for me anyway. Donna talks about forgiving herself for how she was in the early years of her children's lives and how she's completely changed her life from those early days and what really matters to her now. She shares how much she struggled in those early days, including experiencing some pretty graphic intrusive thoughts. So just a little warning that she does talk about that. So if hearing that experience might be more harmful than connecting for you, then skip that bit. It's about 10 minutes in, but I decided to keep it in because I think when we hear stories like that, it normalizes and validates our own experiences. I'm so excited for you to hear this one. Please share this episode with any mums that you know who might be struggling who might need Donna's wise, warm words of hope and compassion. You know, there is so much noise out there and there is so much negativity and there is so much misinformation. I really want our community in Motherkind to be one where we are sharing wisdom and hope and truth. And this episode has all of that and more. Here it is. Just a quick ask from me before we dive into this week's episode. You might not know this, but we are a really small team behind the scenes at Motherkind, but we have a massive ambition to support millions of mothers to feel more confident, happy and empowered. And even though we've got this incredible back catalogue of over 300 episodes, I really do feel like we are just getting started. And often you lovely listeners will ask me how you can support the podcast and help us reach more mums. So I've thought of a really easy way that you can do that because from today you can subscribe to the podcast if you listen on Apple Podcasts, which over 70% of you do. So for just $3.99 a month, you can support our Motherkind mission and you get all the podcasts ad-free going forward. It's really easy. All you need to do is just go to your Apple Podcasts app, find Motherkind, find the section at the top where it says support the podcast and enjoy ad-free episodes. Click on that. You'll then have a seven-day ad-free trial where you can hear what it feels like to listen to the podcast with no ads whatsoever. And then you move on to pay $3.99 a month. And every single penny of that money will go towards empowering more mothers with this incredible guests, ideas, and tools that we share week after week on the show. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. Whether you subscribe or not, I am incredibly grateful that you are here and thank you for being part of the Motherkind mission. Okay, on to this week's episode. Donna, the last time that you came on the podcast, it was just a complete joy. And since then, I have had such an honor of working with you professionally and getting to know you better personally. And I just absolutely love you. I love your energy. I love your words. I love your wisdom. I love how deep and light you can be in the same sentence. And I just can't wait to share more of your wisdom with the Motherkind community. So thank you for coming back. Oh, thank you. What a lovely introduction and welcome. Thank you, Zoe. And I, you know, I feel the same. As you know, it's a mutual appreciation society here. You know, I loved the podcast that we did together and I thought it was really rich and I love our conversations on and off podcast. And yeah, and you were also such a joy to work with. So here we are. Mutual appreciation done. Tick. (laughs) (laughs) 
I wanted to get you back on anyway, but a good impetus was this incredible new book that you just put out into the world. And oh my gosh, I cried and I felt so moved. And there is so much in there about motherhood and mothers. And the whole time I was like, yes, Donna, because you know, one of my big frustrations is that I used to read tons of books like that pre-motherhood and they would never mention motherhood and yours is just jam-packed of wisdom and insight about it. So firstly, thank you for that. Thank you for including mothers in all our shapes, forms, sizes, whatever that word means to you. Thank you for including it so much in the book. No, thank you. And, you know, as you know, I'm a mother of two and a grandmother of three, Zoe, and, and I was a mother really young. It's such a big part of my life because I've been a mother since I was 18 years old. You know, I was a very young mother. And so it's just been such a journey and one of the greatest spiritual practices ever, you know, and really, as we spoke about in our last podcast together, is it really pushes your face up close to the mirror and you really have to take a good long look at what is unfinished from your childhood that is now surfacing within your relationship with your own children. And yeah, so I wanted to offer some little nuggets for people. And I hope as well in the book that it it offers them in a way that is comforting. Sometimes it's necessary to be challenging, but for mothers especially, I want to offer comfort that it's all right, you know, that we all struggle and we all screw up and we all sometimes say, you know, hear our mother's or our father's words coming through our mouth that we said we'd never say, you know. What is that about? Why do we vow to be so different to our parents and then one day we find ourselves, like you talk about looking in the mirror and seeing your parents' faces and and the other day I found myself saying something and I was like, oh my gosh, I am literally my mother. Why is that? Well, I tell you, Zoe, first of all, before I answer that, one of the quotes in the book says, and people are like, no, it's called something like the apple never falls. And it says something like, you better make your peace with your parents, especially the one that you struggle the most with, because sooner or later, in a myriad of ways, you will become them. And people are like, no, (laughs) but it's true, isn't it? We are you know, our parents, you know, it's in our DNA and we've learned from them how to do relationship, how to parent, and that's not always in healthy ways. And we've had to unlearn a lot. And they, in their own way, have taught us a lot, even in what not to do as parents. But I do think that you don't spend 16, 18 years plus in your parents' house and not swallow some of those expressions some of those belief systems and our work really as mothers is to separate ourselves from what was healthy and not so healthy in terms of the parenting style that was modeled to us how do we do that so if someone's you know thinking yes get it all but I really want to not be like my mom or my dad or I want to take a little bit of what they were like that was good and I want to leave all that hard stuff behind how do we actually do it. I mean, awareness is key, is to actually be, first of all, aware that you are perhaps parenting in ways that you were parented. And as you know, I'm always big on compassion. So it's so important to be compassionate with ourselves. As I always say, it's not why did I do that? Why did I say that to my child? It's why wouldn't I? Because I was raised in that way. So there's that compassionate piece around as we become more aware as parents. And then it really is, as you know, I'm a big believer that we have to finish our business. We have to turn towards what was less than perfect, that what hurt us, what caused those core wounds inside of us, we have to be courageous enough to turn towards them and heal them so that they don't keep showing up in that little beautiful being in front of us and in the ways we treat them. Because our children will trigger our own unhealed child inside of us. And so then we start parenting as an emotional child rather than as a mature adult. So it really is a kind of awareness piece. But what healing work does, as you know, is it gives you the pause. It gives you the capacity to pause before you react and then you respond rather than react. Whereas when you're unhealed, it feels like it's like knee jerk and words coming out of your mouth. And then it's like, oh, then beating ourselves up. And it becomes like this self-loathing spiral, doesn't it? And self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm a terrible parent. And then you behave like that and on and on it goes. So it starts with awareness and it, as always, ends with healing. 
How would someone do that awareness piece? Are you literally talking about getting a pen, getting a paper, writing down, this is what I want to repeat, this is what I want to change? Because you're so amazing for this, like for actually getting that rubber on the road. Is that what you'd suggest? I mean, things like the work that you do. I mean, I encourage all the young mothers that I work with and the people that I know that are parents, not just young parents, but parents, educate yourself. You know, there's so many free offerings like your brilliant podcast, Zoe. And it's like this offers such a gift. I say that and and you know that I mean it. I'm not someone that says anything I don't mean. And it's like podcasts like yours and there's many others that are offered to women and mothers in particular to support them. And so the awareness piece, it is about a pen and paper, but it is also about listening, educating. Because as I always say, if you get a new puppy, you have to get a license to have that puppy, or I don't know if that's still true, but I know in some places that you do. And most people take themselves off to do puppy training, but we don't have that to become a parent. And so if you don't want to be a version of your own parents, if that was dysfunctional, you need to, first of all, unlearn what was unhealthful and then learn new strategies. So you have to educate yourself. And there's so many offerings like your podcast. And of course, we know that most mothers are so super stressed and super busy. This is why podcasts are so brilliant. Like my daughter, she's got a young son and she just, whilst she's cooking dinner, she has a, you know, one of the little earbuds in and one ear out for the child and then the other one in and she's listening to your podcast and, and, you know, and others. And it's like, this is the way that we really start to educate ourselves to behave in new ways. And that's partly, you know, why I started it. Because I've done a lot of the unlearning of, you know, therapy pre-motherhood. But as you say, you have to go through the experience to face the triggers. I couldn't have done it before I became a mother, I don't think. It's something about seeing that child. And my eldest looks just like me. She is so like me. And oh my gosh, it's just like that mirror, isn't it? There's nothing more intense. And yeah, like, thank you for saying about the podcast, because that's exactly why I started it, to hold space for these types of conversation, because it's so important. It's so important, Zoe, and it's so permission giving. And, you know, some of the episodes I've listened to yours, and it's just such it is like a comfort blanket. It's just such a relief. It's like, oh yeah, I'm not the only one. And I think so many mothers, because of this whole thing, it takes a village and most mothers don't have a village and they don't have this extended family that we need and all the things that we know about the realities of modern day motherhood. So to be able to have someone talking in your ear and hearing them struggling and overcoming as well, I think that's really important to overcome some of the difficulties. And you just get this breath of life where you're like, oh, somebody else has lived through this, you know, and come out the other side. And then you just feel like I can go on. I don't say that lightly because for me, Zoe, I, as a young struggling mother with so many unhealed wounds, you know, I, I remember sitting on a bench once, and I might've said this in the last podcast, but you know, I'm prone to repeating myself. I was sitting on a bench and I was 18 years old. I had this baby. I didn't know how to, I just didn't have a clue. All my friends were at uni or at work or at school still or whatever. And I'm like, I just don't know how to do this because I'd had such poor parenting modeled to me. And then this so-called stranger, this older woman who I didn't know sat down next to me on the bench. And I was, I, I mean, I'll say this, if it's okay, Zoe, is I really was feeling like I was at the end of my tether. I was sleep deprived, desperate, etc., And it really felt like I can't do this. And then this woman out of nowhere, she sits down next to me on this bench and she says, it does get better. I promise my love. And I just started sobbing. And for some reason, I believed her. And it was like those words, Zoe, gave me the strength to continue from a complete stranger. And I really believe that she was sent to me. She was such a gift. That is so beautiful. As you were describing that, I could picture, I'm crying, because I could just picture you at 18 on that bench and just feeling at your at your wit's end. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. What an incredible woman. Did you ever see her again? No. And, and you know, and th- this is the thing about these kind of 
people that come along and you, as you know I would call it a, a gift of grace you know it's like she was just there and I didn't even see her come into the park where I was she was just suddenly there and then suddenly she's on the bench and she said those words and I mean you're talking however many 38 years ago you know and I still remember those words and I remember how they made me feel and they made me feel that I could go on and I think that coming back to things like your podcast and the comfort that this offers, it gives that sense of the village that we need to raise a child. It gives us that sense of connection, you know, you or someone talking in your ear saying, yeah, me too. And it's just like, oh, I can go on. When you're in that place, did you feel that, you know, you talk about this shame that only a mother knows. And I just so relate to that. I think there is a shame that only a mother knows that questioning because it's such a responsibility and the love that you feel. And then to feel like you're failing at it, it's just the worst feeling. I felt it. I feel it a lot still, actually. You know, that questioning, am I doing it right? Am I enough? Did you have that shame? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I was riddled with it. Because I was also not the best parent when my children were very small because I was a child myself, not just chronologically in age, but also internally, you know, internally. I mean, I looked like this kind of, you know, voluptuous sex goddess at 18, but internally I felt like a five-year-old, you know, and I had the life skills of a five-year-old because I was a very traumatized and neglected child and that none of that had had the chance to kind of process and heal so I was essentially a five-year-old inside raising a newborn baby and so of course that meant that I made so many mistakes and I exposed my children to really difficult things including abusive relationships because my father was abusive and so of course I recreated history right there and so then the shame that I felt by exposing them to these kind of violent situations. Not that they were violent to the children, but we both know the impact of that in the home. And so, yeah, I was absolutely riddled with shame. So I know shame very, very well. And again, I think it's one of those pieces where when we break the taboos of actually having those conversations, when we find those people that we can be honest with and we say, to trusted others, yeah, I'm struggling and I don't know. And and yesterday I did dot, 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 or I did this thing, you know, because what keeps shame in place is secrets. And so we must shine a light on those secrets and find safe spaces where we can go with others, like I say, and sit there and say, yeah, yeah, I did this thing. What comes to me is I remember as a sleep-deprived mother And it was my second child and my first child had chronic eczema and it was just really difficult. And I was in a very, very difficult, dysfunctional, violent relationship. There was so much going on and I was out of control and my whole life felt like a a car crash. And this baby, unsurprisingly, this newborn baby, the second child would not sleep. And she literally didn't sleep, my youngest daughter, for two years. You know, She didn't sleep. And, And so I got to a point talking about shame where I got to a point where I used to just look at her in the car crying and I used to think I wonder if I drove her because driving was the only thing that could get her to sleep if I drove her to a forest and I left her I wonder how long it would take her to stop crying I used to think that and I used to think if I just put this pillow over this baby's head it would make this noise stop There's such shameful thoughts. I was never going to act on them. And it makes me quite emotional saying it because I needed, as that young 20-whatever-year-old, I needed to go to a safe space and say, I'm having these really scary thoughts and I don't think I'm going to act on them, but I just need to tell you that I'm having them. And for someone to say, like a wise elder, of course you have those thoughts. Many, many mothers have those thoughts and they're just thoughts and it's okay. You're exhausted, you're sleep deprived, you're feeling completely out of your mind. You know, that level of shame, I just kept it inside because I had nowhere in those, you know, in the 1980s, there was nowhere that I knew of that I could take that shame. My heart is just breaking for that 20-year-old, because I did this breakthrough episode, which was just mind-blowing to me, that 
percent of mothers experience intrusive thoughts. Not always like that, but intrusive thoughts. And I remember having them where it was like I would stand on the tube with the buggy and I would think, what would happen if I just pushed the buggy into the lines? I was never going to do it. And I never told anyone because I thought if I tell someone, my baby might get taken away from me. And, you know, God, and look at all the privileges that I have. I'm white middle class woman. Like, if, you know, and if I've got a thinking about the shame and I've got to keep, what, you know, gosh. But then learning, learning from this incredible psychologist who did her whole thesis on it because she'd experienced it, how normal it was. Like the majority of us have had these thoughts and no one talks about it. It's mind blowing. And it's also, it saddens me because, and I really, you know, whether or not you include this, you know, there's something about speaking our shame out into the world that is so healing for other women to hear, other mothers in particular, to be able to say, yeah, me too. And I wasn't going to act on it either, but it really scared me. And you're like, yes. And then there's the even, and we've gone deep straight away. You and I always go deep, Zoe. (laughs) But there's also the other side of it where like lesser, if you like, where there's the secrets that are also part of the shame where I thought that I loved one child more than another. And really it was just that one was easier to love than the other at that time all those things is like sometimes that you love your children but you don't like them and just to be able to say that and nobody's going to take your children away nobody's going to judge you and that is how we heal our shame is we share our shame with others who will not shame us for our shame and then something it's like a collective healing of mothers where we all say yeah me too and it's like and it's okay So beautiful. And my greatest hope is that mother kind is that. That's just what I want it to be, Donna. I just want it to be a space where we can, you know, because I was looking for something like this and it just didn't exist. You know, it just didn't exist. The number one selling book when I started a podcast was called Hurrah for Gin. And it was all about how hard it is and how you basically have to get drunk to get through it. But I was sober. I was like, I can't rely on that. I'm going to need something else. Absolutely. And I I, I have absolutely no doubt that your podcast is that to so many people. And in fact, we know it is because I've seen the comments as you have. And it is such a gift that you you've had a need in your own life and then you met that need for yourself and others. And actually through creating it for others, which is the service piece, you met your own needs at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And more. I mean, in a way, it's a selfish endeavor. In more than a way, actually, it is a selfish endeavor because, you know, I'll come away from this conversation feeling lighter, freer, less shame, less guilt. It's just such a joy. How did you forgive yourself? I think you wrote it in the book. I can't remember the exact line. You said one of the greatest costs of your unhealed trauma was sleepwalking through your children's early years. And you said, and then the last sentence was a high price to pay. And I read that and I thought, God, so many mothers and fathers and parents and grandparents will relate to that. How did you forgive yourself for, in your words, sleepwalking through those early years? It comes back to the compassion goggles, as I call them. So first of all, before we can even often put on the compassion goggles, is we have to grieve for what happened and what we missed out on and what we lost. And and by grieving, I mean, feel the emotional impact of that fact, you know? So for me, my grief work was around, I don't remember significant events in my early children's lives. I don't remember baby teeth coming out for the first time. I don't remember birthdays. I don't even remember early Christmases because I was traumatized. I was completely traumatized. And anybody who ever has been traumatized, which will be many of your listeners, I'm sure, is, as you know, is that you are in survival. So I did what was necessary to keep my children clean and healthy and safe. And even, you know, I read to them, but like in a trance, what I call a trauma trance, that grief piece is fundamental is to allow myself to actually feel the sadness, the fear and the anger, which is grief around how I came to be so traumatized 
which was my own childhood experiences, that I went on to miss my own children's childhood. And, you know, as I said, high price to pay indeed. And so that was the healing piece, the grief work, as I call it. And then when you do that piece of work, when you really dare to courageously face all those difficult emotions and you do it safely, hopefully in therapy or in a way that is manageable, because otherwise you can go into overwhelm, is that when you do that, you then start to defrost your own heart, not just towards your children, but also towards yourself and towards others. You defrost your heart that had become frozen because you had to close down pockets of your heart because the pain was too great. And so the grief work defrosts as I said, it was warm, warmth, 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 and warm therapy, warm words, warm attention, warmth towards yourself, then defrosts your heart and opens your heart for what? For the possibility of forgiveness and for these compassionate goggles, as I call them, that you put on your lenses and you say, not why did I behave like that? Why did I have those intrusive thoughts? Not why was I such a terrible parent? Why wasn't I able to remember my daughter's first birthday? But why wouldn't I behave like that? Why wouldn't I struggle in that way? And that shift comes through the healing work and your heart just opens to the person that you were, that version of yourself way back when, where you just say, bless her beautiful heart. Just like you said, imagining me as 18 years old, desperate and on that bench alone, you start to turn that energy towards yourself when you say, bless her beautiful heart. I have learned to live with the consequence of my traumatic childhood and the ripple effects of that and what it cost me. And now I've come to a place long, long since where I've forgiven myself for all of the things and the ways that I wasn't able to protect my own children from difficult, abusive relationships and that I wasn't able to love them in the way that they needed beyond the functional because I was too traumatized and I completely forgive myself. And that's not letting yourself off the hook. That is saying through understanding, awareness and compassion that I understand it. It's okay. You couldn't have done it any other way. You know, that's the truth of it, Zoe. I couldn't have done it any other way. I was just surviving. And have you forgiven your parents? Oh, I'm beyond forgiveness for my parents. Uh, you know, forgiveness is, and I know you will understand this. So forgiveness was the objective originally. First of all, it was unforgivable. That was my approach. And I think I wrote this in the book. So there's a personal journey towards forgiveness, towards beyond forgiveness, actually. And the beginning of that journey was never, you know, never going to forgive them. It's not possible. It's unforgivable. Why? Because there was so much unhealed pain inside me. So whenever clients say to me, it was unforgivable. And I think it's a personal choice, by the way. I don't think anyone should tell you, you must forgive your parents. That's really abusive to do that. But for me, my personal journey was unforgivable because I hadn't grieved what I missed out on. And then gradually it moved towards, I know I need to forgive, but I'm not there yet. And that's okay. And then it was like, I know forgiveness is for me, not for them. And it will help me to let go. And then eventually it got to a place and this took some years, by the way, it wasn't overnight, as you know, I got to a place where I was like, I forgive them. I really forgive them. They also had terrible beginnings to life. No one parents like that who hasn't had a really difficult life themselves. We don't give birth to a baby and go, I can't wait to fuck you up, you cute little chubby, gorgeous creature. I can't wait to fuck you up. No one does that. I recognize in my forgiveness piece that they had also been traumatized. They had very difficult beginnings to their life. And again, it's not excuses. It's just the reality. And then eventually the peace where I'm at now, there's nothing to forgive, Zoe. There's nothing to forgive. That is beyond forgiveness. Forgiveness still suggests that I'm somehow in a, a superior position looking at my poor parents with their poor pasts and saying, oh, you poor things, I forgive you because you struggled. Whereas I'm at a position of seeing my mother and father as a woman and a man first, and before that, two little children, 
but they are a woman and a man first before they are my mother and my father. And I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense to me. I see them as equals and there's nothing to forgive. It was all perfect. And I think you say that, I don't know if you say it in the book or if I've heard you say it, that that is a transition that we make when we go from seeing our parents as, well, they should have known and they sh- why didn't they know? We, you know, we're sort of children then. And then we become adults and we see them as just fellow struggling humans who are just as fucked up as the rest of us. Absolutely. As you say, it's a real process and no one else can tell you. And if someone had said to me when I was 25, you need to forgive your parents, I would have been like, ah, fuck you, you know. (laughs) But, you know, it is a process and then you get to that place. And I also love that piece when you recognize how flawed you've been as a parent. I think when you become a mother yourself or a parent yourself and you realize, I've also made a lot of mistakes in trying to not be like my own parents. And I think, I can't remember if it's in the book or not, but there's a piece I wrote where I said, you know, if you can't find your way towards the light of forgiveness for your parents, how on earth will your children find the light of forgiveness towards you? You know, and that's the thing is it ripples on down, you know. We're always looking upwards or backwards towards the generation before, but actually look downwards and in front of you and see they're going to be saying to therapists in the future, my mum didn't, you know, my mum did this or my mum, no matter how great you've tried to be as a parent, it's the human condition. I always laugh about this, Donna, because I can imagine my girls in a therapist's office in 20 years' time going, and my mum even had a bloody podcast about it. And she still did this. And she still did <laughs> And I can imagine this therapist scrabbling around in the archives if podcasts are even a thing and hearing me talk about all this stuff and thinking, wow. I mean, it's just so funny. I, I think about it all the time. But it's true, isn't it? I was so harsh on my mum, you know? And what she had going on and why couldn't she have healed for us? And and then I became a mum and I ended up, I think I've told you this before, I, I wrote her this 30-page letter saying thank you. And it started with, thank you for conceiving me. Thank you for carrying me. Thank you for birthing me. Because I realised, I realised what it was. I realised. And I realised too how it was nothing to do with me. Her timeline on her healing had nothing to do with me. I was just in her orbit. And yeah, it was really magical. It was really special when I gave her that. And you know what happened when I gave it to her, I said, mum, I've written you a letter. And she said, is it going to say that you don't want me in your life anymore? And I said, no, mum, it doesn't say that. It was, it was just so, so healing, yeah, it was amazing. It? Very healing. Beautiful. Oh, I love it. And, and and I think those letters of kind of appreciation and forgiveness, when we reach that point where if and when we reach that point where with our parents, you know, when we do offer them that, it is something that ripples down through the generations, you know. It is so powerful, Zoe. And and knowing even that when I offered my forgiveness to my father through written form. He would say, forgive for what? <laughs> you know, because he was pissed the whole of my childhood. <laughs> so he would he wouldn't even think that there was anything to forgive for. He's like, What are you talking about? You had a roof over your head, like get over yourself. But I know that even though he would have made those kind of dismissive remarks if he had been in front of me, I know through my mother that he kept that letter and he shared it with many, many people. So there was something very healing for him, even though the kind of macho part of him was like, you know, kept a roof over your head. And I think that healing work then ripples down through the generations. And it means, of course, our children will have their own baggage and their own struggles, but their load will be a little lighter because of the work that we did. And I think that's another misconception is that people think that if you forgive, you have the right to no boundaries anymore. And I know that, as you say, you're beyond forgiveness for your dad and you don't see him. And that gets confused. I think people think, well, if I forget and forgive and there's no boundaries and it's, you know, playing happy families and and that is not what you teach at all, is it? Not at all, no. Again, you know, people have this kind of fairy sort of 
Hollywood film fairy story belief that you're going to sort of say, oh, I'm sorry. And they're, they're going to say, I'm sorry. You know, those elusive words, I'm sorry. And you're going to say, oh, it's okay. And then you're going to fall into each other's arms. And, <laughs> and really the reality for most of us is very different, you know. And so that's why forgiveness is about your own liberation. It's about not carrying around a shed load of baggage on your back that is just like bitterness and resentment and all these gaping wounds inside you and pointing the finger and it's exhausting carrying all that shit around with you and what forgiveness allows us to do is to put it down and to say I cannot change the past I understand that they did as best as flawed a job as they could if that's true and it's all right. It's all right. And my job, you know, is what I do with what has happened to me, you know, how I transform this, how I turn this around. That's my work, you know, that I don't just continue like so many unconscious families. They just pass it down on and on through generation after generation after generation. I believe if you are on any way on believe you're on a spiritual path, our responsibility is to be the one who's the truth teller in our family and to be the one who courageously turns towards the pain rather than denies or runs from it. Yeah, and I can't remember if you said this to me or some other wise soul said, with forgiveness, what you're really doing is cutting the cord to that attachment of what happened to you. You're setting yourself free. That's what you're doing. You're not saying it was okay. It's just beautiful, that image. Like I love it, just setting yourself free. And you say this in the book, you can't get to the new without giving up the old. And I thought about that a lot with motherhood and new life and new generations and without giving up the old, without clearing, as you say, that sack of bloody rotten potatoes, whatever it is that we're dragging around. Don't know where that came from. Maybe because I'm cooking a roast later. <laughs> I'm always mixing my metaphors anyway, so you're in good company. <laughs> but we know what we mean, don't we? There's a grieving process of the life that we had before we became a mother. No matter how much we might have wanted to become a mother, there's a grieving process that that identity is over. She's gone. The woman you were before you became a mother has gone and she will not return, not that version. And so there's a grieving process. And so many women, again, they feel shame because they say, but I'm so lucky that I've got this perfect baby. It's not either or, it's both and. You can be incredibly grateful and feel incredibly blessed, which you are, to have the miracle of a child, especially when so many women aren't able to conceive who want to. But it doesn't mean you're not also able to say, and I miss the freedom and the liberation of being just myself, you know, just a woman living her life, not a mother first and foremost. Well, there's a word for it that has just been hidden from us, which is this word matrescence that I'm obsessed with because the word means the process of becoming a mother. And in it is the grieving, is the confusion, is the new identity. It's just like adolescence. It's exactly the same where our brain's changing, our body's changing, everything's changing. But that word has been hidden from us. Kel surprise. I wonder who that benefits to keep us mothers small, confused, not knowing what's going on with us. Shameful, etc. You call the patriarchy the sleeping pill for women, not mincing your words. Tell us about that. I say that, you know, my role as an elder is to love you and champion you and support you and guide you. And it's also sometimes to, uh, to sort of metaphorically splash you in the face with some cold water. And the sleeping pill piece, like the patriarchy as a sleeping pill piece, was really the splash of cold water to say to women, wake up wake up. Don't you see that you have been drugged, that you have been drugged into believing that you are inadequate, not just as a mother, but as a woman, as a human being, that you're less than, that you're to this or not enough that, that all of those layer upon layer of not good enough beliefs that we carry and the shameful beliefs that we hold 
it's a patriarchal trick to keep us feeling small and less than and in our place. And, you know, that's why I say, and I don't know if you've listened to the Audible, but I really did it like an advert version where I was like, you know, know your place, little missy, know your place. And here, take another one in pretty pink, you know, and it's just really deliberate to confront people to say it's just one big trick. It's one big trick to make us feel not enough so we don't rise up, so that we don't feel empowered, so that we don't feel good enough and powerful because the truth is the patriarchy is terrified of the power that women have, terrified of the power of mothers. We give life. (laughs) But all of that kind of diminishment of women and mothers, it was breastfed to us through our mother's milk as it was through their mother's milk. So it really is ingrained in us. And this is the unlearning and learning piece is we have to unlearn the patriarchal trance. We have to unlearn all of the self-limiting beliefs and ways that we diminish our power. And then we have to relearn or learn how to really stand in our truth and be the powerful beings that we are. And that has nothing to do with ego and everything to do with spirit, the truth of who you are. I don't know what it says about me. That was probably my favorite chapter, the sleeping pill patriarchy one. I loved it. Do you know the worst pill of all? The pill that I hate the most in motherhood from the patriarchy is bounce back. You know, I looked up the definition of bounce back the other day. It means to recover quickly from a setback. Your becoming a mother is not a setback that you have to quickly get back into your size eight jeans for. And so many women fucking buy into it not our fault. We're brainwashed into it. We're the generation who saw the Spice Girls being weighed on live TV to see if they'd got back into their genes three months after their baby. That's our generation. It's so ingrained in us. But my gosh, you know, instead of a time when we're meant to be leaning into our power as women, we are being brainwashed to be down the gym to lose the baby weight. I know. And, you know, this is, again, a a passion piece of mine, and I know yours, Zoe, around I see them as poisoned arrows and they're shot into our body. And it is our responsibility to pull out these poisoned arrows that are the messages not only from our family but from society and to really pull it out and say, I'm not having this. I'm not carrying this. And as importantly, or if not more importantly, I'm not shooting this arrow into my beautiful daughter who's three or three months or my beautiful son. So he believes that women are less than or whatever it might be. So we really start to just pull those poisoned arrows out and you start to wake up and you're just like, I'm not buying what you're selling. I'm not taking that sleeping pill. Thank you, because I'm wide awake now. And that's the importance of language as well in that poisoned arrow piece. It's not standing in front of your children and saying, oh, you know, look at my bum and oh, mummy's all flabby and it's your fault because I had a baby, you know, whatever. This language is toxic and it just perpetuates the patriarchal trance. It really does. That's why, like in my first book, I really start talk to people about banning certain words and certain phrases from your vocabulary. I mean, literally banning it. I'm not using this anymore because I see it as every time I say the words, oh, look at the state of me, as an example, I might as well shoot a poisoned arrow into my child. You know, that's what we're doing. So I'm not doing it. Language is so important. And, you know, staggering when you enter the world of pregnancy and motherhood and birth, the language, like what is failure to conceive, failure to progress if you're not dilating? Failure, failure, failure is all that you're hearing. What's another one? They call it inhospitable womb in IVF, I believe. The language is just un believable. And it's normal now. It's so normalized to hear us use these words and these phrases. And I think you're so right. It's such an important thing to just bring that awareness to it. Otherwise, we're all sort of playing our part in perpetuating it, aren't we? 
Absolutely, and passing it on in our milk, as it were, to our children. And it is real internalized misogyny. You know, I used to teach a course called Worthy, and I really stressed to women in that course make no mistake, this is misogyny. This is the hatred, this real hatred of women that you have swallowed whole, which is part of the patriarchal system. And let's be clear here, men suffer from the patriarchy as much as women do from a different angle. But it is really you internalizing the hatred of women. You know, so just imagine that as you go about with the language and you say all these things that have been really bombarded with like failure to conceive and inhospitable womb and all those things and then you internalize all of that and it is a form of your own hatred of being a woman and we understand it but our job is to heal it and to as much as possible minimize how much we then pass on to the next generation. I think this is just because I turned 40 last month you said if you reach 40 and you're still only focusing on the vessel not the insides. No wonder you feel so empty. And I was like, fuck. I mean, I think I don't just focus on my body and the vessel, but I was like, wow, that is, yeah. Why did you choose 40? Why not 30? Why not 50? Why? What is it about 40 that you chose to give us that cold water in our face? Yet again, Donna. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, I think it was because for me, again, so much, I mean, this is the thing as well, I just want to say, though, is so much of what I write, I'm also speaking to myself. And sometimes I'm speaking to myself of the past version of myself. And sometimes I'm speaking to the present version of myself, you know, so it's not just all about imparting wisdom for others. It's a bit like you with the podcast. It's also we teach what we need to learn. But the reason I said 40 is because for me, you know, the 20s were a shit show. They were really a just disaster. And the 30s were a mixture of a shit show and the beginnings and rumblings of healing and growth, expansion and change. And then the 40s, I mean, congratulations, by the way, but the 40s, it was like, the 40s were the best. They were just like, you're on fire. You know, there's so much possibility and they just get better and better until the 50s. And then like, wow. So really what I wanted to stress to people is like, if you have done no inner work and you reach 40, when really you're coming into the possibility of learning and growing and expanding, which you're meant to on your own heroine's journey, you're meant to learn and grow and expand and deepen as you move into life to turn your wounds into wisdom. If you reach 40 and you've done none of that and you're just thinking like, oh, my tits are a bit lower than they were last year and you think that having a boob job or and I've got nothing against any of these things or a bit of Botox you think that's gonna make you feel better I mean it might make you feel temporarily soothed but you will still feel empty inside because the vessel is always what you need to fill inside out beauty, which is what we started on before we pressed record. Your own inside out beauty is coming through loud and clear, Zoe. So it really is just that thing of like, if you get to 40 and you've done no inner inquiry, it's like not reading a book. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, learn, grow, expand, wake up wake the fuck up <laughs> splash 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 yeah i was gonna say you're just getting buckets of ice cold water now and lobbing them <laughs> <laughs> i'm feeling a bit- we better wrap this up god knows what she's gonna say next <laughs> <laughs> yeah get her off there'll be like a crook that will come and go like that get her off get her off you know at the oscars when they start playing the music when someone's speech is too long to get them off <laughs> It'll be like that. You'll suddenly in your podcast, there'll be some really loud music that'll come through, like the Macarena or something. Get her off. Yeah, listeners, if you're hearing the outro music right now, that's because I'm trying to get Donna off the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's true, though. It is true, you know, and I think sometimes we need that gentle, like we were talking about at the start, and sometimes you just need that shake don't you? You need that shake. And I think life provides that. My gosh, life provided that for me lots. You know, that shake you to wake you thing is so true, I think. 
So maybe that was the shake that someone listening, maybe it's just one person listening who needed that shake. Who knows? Maybe it was hundreds, maybe it was thousands. I don't know. But thank you, Donna. And I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I gave this some thought and uh, I think there's, we've already touched on some of the things already, which is around the sense of community and being able to share the secrets that we carry and so that we can heal our shame. So that's sort of in there. But I guess my answer right now, or I would gift every mother would be access to a true elder in some form. So, so many mothers are estranged from their parents or their parents are deceased or their grandparents are estranged or deceased and they don't have that sense of lineage. They don't have that sense of elders guiding them and supporting them. And I really would gift that to women to have an elder, I would say to women, find your elders, mothers, find your elders, because we all need that person that's a little bit further along the path that's been through some of what we've been through that can kind of like that woman sitting next to me on the bench and saying, it gets better, my love, I promise, just hold on. And that's what I wish for every mother in the world. Thank you, Donna. It's just always incredible speaking to you. So thank you so much. And I would really encourage everyone, Wise Words for Women is everything that we've spoken about and so, so, so much more. It is an incredible book. Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners about, Donna? You've got a couple of workshops coming up, haven't you? Thank you, Zoe. Yeah, I have. I'm not sure when this episode will go out, but I've got some one-day relationship workshops coming up in London, which are about all relationships, including parenting. So they're available. All the information is on my website, which is called deepeningintolife.com. And there's lots of other things. I'm doing a spiritual awareness program at the in the autumn, but it's all on the website. And if you sign up for the newsletter, you can find out about the sort of pay what you can events that I do as well. So that so people can access it even without, you know, finances getting in the way. And just to say, I did one of Donna's workshops last year and it was the highlight of my 2022 so if you are sort of on the fence or wobbling about it just take this as your sign to just dive in and I promise you you will not regret a workshop with Donna Lancaster it's just it's next level I absolutely love being in your professional space and seeing you at work that weekend was just mind-blowing to me so yeah I would really encourage everyone to have a look at deepening into life and we'll see you next time Donna Thank you so much, Zoe. Thank you for having me. That was the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you did, please do share it. Please do write a review. It makes a massive difference. And as I mentioned with Donna, I did an incredible episode with Dr. Caroline Boyd all about intrusive thoughts. She revealed that over 99% of mums experience them. It is completely normal. It's just that we don't talk about them. So have a listen to that episode. Just search Caroline Boyd, Motherkind, wherever you are listening to this. You can also now subscribe to the podcast. So if you want to find a way to support me and my very, very, very small team in creating all this incredible content, then please do consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts. It's just $3.99 a month. And then it means you get the episodes going forwards ad free. So I will see you on Monday for our short moment clip. It is a brilliant one this week. I'll see you Thursday for another in-depth interview with an expert. And I will see you Friday for our brand new episode where I chat to one of our Motherkind community. I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.